Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for turning it around. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done and all that you're doing. I'm grateful for the power of the Holy Ghost. How about you? Amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated in the house of the Lord. And we're going to continue on in our Bible study here tonight. And so if you want to start finding yourself a place close to Genesis, amen, if you have trouble finding it, it'll give you a little bit of time to get there. Amen. You just got to turn a couple pages in your Bible, and we'll get you there. Amen. Get your notebooks and notepads ready. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to say it was awesome to have Brother Puller preaching, and he absolutely preached tremendously on Sunday. And, uh, and then I thought it just couldn't get any better than that. And then he preached on Wednesday. Now, he doesn't, again, we don't talk about church or anything like that, but he pulled a text and he taught right and preached right out of the story of Cain, which is exactly what we talked about in our previous Wednesday Bible study and so he was able to just continue and add a little bit more to it and it was absolutely tremendous I don't know about you, but I do not want to find myself out of the presence of the Lord Amen, and I want to continue being in the presence of God and being being blessed by God's presence and somebody said amen So last week we were or a couple weeks ago. We were talking about Cain and we're talking about the descendants of Adam and when Adam and Eve, they sinned, they fell in the garden. Amen. They, they came out of the other side of the curse, and they started to birth children. The first, of course, was Cain. The second was Abel. We talked about how Cain rose up, and he slew his brother, and he was cursed for it. And I love how Brother Polar talked about it. He added a little bit that I hadn't even talked about, that the difference uh, between Adam and the difference between Cain. Adam confessed his sin, but Cain tried to conceal it. And that is the biggest difference. I thought that was tremendous. That is a huge difference in how sin is dealt with by God. If you try to conceal your sin, the Bible says whatever is, in, is, is hidden in the darkness and tries to be kept silent will be shouted from the rooftops. And so there is this element that if we try to conceal it, it will come out. But the beautiful thing about the Bible and even when God dealt with David, when he got done with David and David repented, David would write Psalms talking about that his sin was washed away, amen, and that his transgression was no longer remembered. And he would put it this way, it was, it was like the secret of the Lord. And there's something about when you confess your sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness it doesn't matter what you've done if you will come forward and confess it to the Lord now let me just talk about confession for all my all my brothers and sisters that grew up Catholic that doesn't mean you come to me and confess everything you've done wrong now if that'll help you and I can help you get better uh, then 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 we'll pray together we'll work on it but tr quite frankly the Bible says there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus you don't have to go to a priest and confess every sin that you ever did You've got a high priest named Jesus that'll hear you, whether you're at an altar, whether you're at your job. All he cares about is if you confess, then you can have it dealt with. 
Cain chose the other option. He decided, uh, you know, hidden option C, and that he was going to go do his own thing. And uh, after all, God, it's your fault I'm in this position, and you should just change your word to appease me instead of me changing to appease you. And so he kills his brother, and God curses Cain. And time goes by, and when Adam and Eve, they were around 130 years old, uh, another son was born of them, a son by the name of Seth, which simply his name means substitute or appointed. And with Seth, we begin to chart the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Through Seth's descendants, the Redeemer that they've been waiting for since Genesis 3.15 was prophesied that there was going to come a seed from the woman, a man-child that was going to destroy the serpent. They've been waiting for this ever since Genesis 3.15. Eventually, from the bloodline of Seth, we're going to see Jesus Christ come forth. The Bible declares that one of his grandchildren, Enos, uh, or his son, Enos, came forth. And the Bible says from that moment, the men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They became God conscious. And as men began to call upon the name of the Lord, they offered blood sacrifice. And communication was restored between God and men. And the Lord was pleased with those that came to him with the appropriate sacrifices to cover their sin. We then talked a little bit about Enoch. And not much was said about Enoch. But Hebrews chapter 11 says that he had this testimony. He pleased God. Now what did he do to please God? All he did was walk with God. And we talked about the fact that you don't always have to do all these super spiritual things or what we consider to be spiritual. Uh, you know, because often we make things more complicated than God does. It's just walk with God. Christianity is not as complicated as we make it. It's get up in the morning, but how do you get up in the morning? I get up in the morning with God. Amen. Some of y'all get up in the morning with coffee. Get up in the morning with coffee and Jesus. Amen. Get up with God. We'll go to work. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it as unto the Lord. You go to work, you go to work with God. Amen. When you, when you are going to Walmart, you go to Walmart with God. Everything you do, you go to church, you go to church not by yourself. You go to church with God. Amen. You come to Bible study on Wednesday night. You don't come by yourself. You come with God. Everything we do is to walk with God. And, uh, and that is what's going to please God. We have got to have the faith that says, my walk pleases the Lord. Amen. Now, if you were to study out, and we talk about this very tail end, uh, I tried to squeeze it in there, but I, I want to take a minute and go back over it for the sake of, of our Bible study here tonight and where it's heading towards. If you were to look at the genealogy that goes from Seth's lineage all the way from Adam down through Seth all the way to Noah, you will find their names and the meanings. The name of Adam simply means man or mankind. Seth means appointed. Enos means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalel means the blessed of God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch is teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. Noah means comfort and rest. Now, if we were to read that and break that down, you write this down if you want. You're seeing more than just a genealogy. You're seeing the gospel story in the names of the first few people in the Bible. This is what I'd read in Hood English. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. Are you thankful for that tonight? 
I thank God that he did not leave us in our condition. He did not stay up in his throne in heaven and look down with judgment and cursing upon us and tell us to just get yourself up. But God, who knew no sin, the Bible says, came down in the likeness of sinful flesh. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we, through him, might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I think we ought to give God the best praise we've given him all week long. Hallelujah. I love the way somebody put it. They said, when, when, when man could not be like God, God became like men so that men could become like God. You and I have the opportunity to sit here today because the blessed God came down, not while we were perfect. And if we start thinking God shows up when we're perfect, we've missed it because we ain't ever going to be perfect. The Bible says, while we were sinners, I got a question for everybody here tonight. How many years ago did Jesus die on a cross? Two thousand plus years ago. When did you sin last? I don't answer that, praise God. How did Jesus die for you while you were a sinner? If it happened 2,000 years ago. I want to tell you, God's outside of time. And the Bible says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He looked all the way in the future, and he saw the point where you were at your worst. Amen. The Bible says while we were ungodly, while we were without strength, while we were sinners. I want you to know he didn't die for you when you were dressed nice in church. He didn't die for you when you were shouting and jumping and running the aisles. He died for you at your lowest. I thank God for that. If you thought back on your worst mistake, I want you to know, Jesus, I, I could just imagine Jesus as he's on a cross, amen, waiting to his last breath. He's holding on to that last breath where he gives up the ghost, and he's thinking, man, uh, Evan hadn't done his worst sin yet. And all of a sudden, it's your worst mistake. God says, all right, now's the time. While they're a sinner, at their worst, God died for them. And I want to tell you, I thank the Lord because he didn't wait for us to get it all together. Amen. Because there's no way without the power of God we could get it together. And as we do this Bible study, you're going to see over and over again, man trying to do their best. I want to tell you what religion says. Try harder. That's what religion teaches. Try harder. But the New Testament, the gospel message is he already paid it all. And there's nothing you can do to make it better. Amen. And there's nothing you can do to make him worse. I want to tell you, everything Jesus did, everything Calvary provided, it is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Amen. Enoch's son, as we continue on in our Bible study, his son Methuselah lived longer than any man on, in recorded history. The Bible says he lived 969 years. From the same bloodline and lineage, Noah was born as the grandson of Methuselah. Now notice how Noah's name means rest. There was a promise that the coming Messiah would bring rest. I could pause and at times I take this Bible study. We just do a whole Bible study on rest, but uh, we'll do that as time goes on. But as you look at this, they thought, finally, there's going to be one. He's our Messiah. It's Noah. He's going to bring us rest. He's going to get rid of the curse of the earth. He's going to get rid of the curse of sin. But just like everybody else in the Bible, Noah is not the Messiah. 
Amen. He might be a type and shadow. He might be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, but he's not the Messiah. Amen. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6 and verses 5 through 7. Genesis chapter 6. Now, I don't want to just teach you the Bible and you think, man, we're just reading scriptures and we're just learning more history. I want to say everything we're teaching in these Bible studies is 100% applicable to you and I right now. Not 20 years from now, right now. Sometimes when you preach, what's being preached is applicable to you in 20 years. But when you are teaching like this, you are it is applicable right now because you're talking about theology. And so uh, tonight we're going to be talking a lot about grace. Man, and, and I'm going to teach about grace a little while. Amen. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Let's, let's take a look at the world that Noah was born into. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice how I didn't leave room for anybody. Every imagination. That includes everybody. And the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That sounds a little bit like our world today. That every thought, every imagination is only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from off the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Think about this. The world was so wicked that God thought to himself, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to, it repenteth me. I mean, that, this is the only time in the Bible you see it in the context, this and in, in Exodus, where it seems like God repents. Now, God's not repenting the way that you and I repent. Amen. It's, it's that moment where God, the Bible says, it grieved God at his heart. What kind of sin does the world have to be in to grieve God at his heart? I want you to think about that for a minute. All sin equals death. There is no big sin or little sin. All sin is sin. And yet the thoughts, the imagination, I think that this goes beyond just action. I think when you take a look at the motives of man and you take a look at the imagination of man and you take a look at the heart of man, there it seemed as if there was nothing that was good left in any man on earth. And God said, well, I'm just going to destroy man, and I'm going to start this whole thing over from scratch. It had grieved God at his heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want anything that I think, anything that I say, anything that I do to grieve God in his heart. I, I, I think that our world, we, we often think too much about uh, what's in it for me, but not how is this affecting others. What is the, you know, we always think about uh, the consequences of sin in our lives and the repercussions of sin, maybe if we're being really generous in the lives of other people. But very rarely do we ever consider how our sin is affecting the heart of God. I want to tell you, man was not made to sin. There's nothing in us that was created by God for sin to work. It's like putting water in your gas tank. 
It's not made to run on that. Amen. It's like putting oil in your gas tank. It's, it's not made to run on that. And God never intended for mankind. In other words, man was not operating the way he was creating and intending them to operate. And it grieved God at his heart. Every time you and I sin, it grieves God at his heart that we, that we are not operating the way that he created us. Imagine this for all the parents. When you see your kids just absolutely messing up, you know, you think as a parent, uh, I know as a pastor, I think this about people. That's not what you were created for. And that's not what you were, that's not your purpose in life. When you see them going into drugs and alcohol and getting all messed up, it just grieves you where you think that's not why you were created. You were created for more than this. And when God looks down at his creation and he sees you and I living below our means, spiritually speaking, it grieves God. I want you to think about it for a moment. We are children of God. We were created in the image of God and in his likeness. We are royalty. Think about that. Just we, we don't understand because here in America, you know, we just we celebrate yesterday America, um, Independence Day. We we don't have a king. Amen. So we're independent. But but there is that idea that the nation had to have a king, had to have a ruler. And uh, when we when we consider royalty, there was somebody just based on who they were born to. They were now royalty. They didn't they didn't do nothing for it. <laughs> they didn't work for it. I want to tell you that's really the New Testament right there. You didn't work for it. You didn't, there's nothing you could, you could get for it. You just were born into the right family. Amen. When you're born again of water and spirit, you might have been born in the wrong family here on earth. But when you're born again, you're born again into the right family with the right last name. But imagine if somebody who was born into a royal family went out of the palace and started living like a peasant. I guarantee the news media would have a field day with that. If he started living less than he was born to live. When you and I get involved in sin, we live less than the royal bloodline that's flowing through our veins. And it grieves God. And so God looks down at, at, at the earth and it, there's something about it. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy man that I have made. For hundreds of years, it seemed as if God was tolerating wickedness. But this is not completely accurate. Again, this is showing us the mercy of God. And mercy of God, if you were to write it down, is simply this, the withholding of judgment. We think God, uh, you know, I was reading Ecclesiastes the other day, and it was talking about how man, when, when they don't get the penalty for their actions, they think that the penalty's never coming. That's not true. Just because you didn't get, uh, get checked for it doesn't mean it's not coming. And uh, we, we think we got away with it, but we don't get away with anything. There's nothing in life you ever get away with. And so just because God didn't bring his hammer down and send judgment upon the earth and put the gavel against uh, the, the desk, uh, he, he, he still got judgment there, but he's being merciful. This is a pattern we find with God, even in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, the book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30. Man, the Bible says, and at the time of this ignorance, God winked at. Now, I'll just say this. Only one time in your Bible did God ever wink. Amen. God's not over there blinking. He's just, he's winking. He's winked once. 
But now, everybody say now, commendeth men everywhere to repent. Oh, God, just let it go. He didn't judge me. It's just because there's, there's this concept of mercy doesn't mean that judgment's not coming. Now there's a shifting. He now causes men everywhere and commands them to repent. If you go right over one more book, Romans chapter 11, verse 22. And I'm going to show us a little bit about God here tonight. Romans 11 and 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. Goodness and severity. Everybody say that. Goodness and severity of God. On them which fell severity, but towards thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. Obviously, if you want to read the context later, he's talking about the wild olive branch that was grafted in and the branch that was cut off. But it shows that in God there is goodness and there is severity. When we talk about God, God is everything. He's all things. God is perfectly balanced. He is, some people, especially in our religious world, they want to say, well, God is love. Yes, God is love. But the Bible also says God is holy. So which is he, love or holy? He's both. He's both. Okay? God is merciful. Absolutely. But God is also just. We could go down the list all day long talking about the jealousy of God. God is perfectly balanced. And, and this is why some people think, well, the God of the Old Testament must be different from the God of the Old Testament. It, no, you, you got it all backwards. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. But what we're seeing is we're seeing the other side of the balance. We're seeing the severity of God. But when you come to the New Testament, as much as he was severe in the Old Testament and as much as he will be severe in the book of Revelations, well, he's, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. If you never read the book of Revelations because you don't know what's about to come, amen, God is balanced and, and, and he was severe over here. He had judgment over here. But now in the New Testament, the judgment of God, as severe as it was in the Old Testament upon animals, it was that much more severe upon Jesus Christ on Calvary so that we could receive the goodness of God. This is why Romans teaches us this. I believe it's Romans 2 and 4. That it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen. I want to tell you, the severity of God, it falls on sin. And ultimately, it fell upon Jesus Christ. Why? So that we could receive the goodness of God. The reason we're in church today is because Jesus endured the severity so we could have the goodness. Amen. I want to tell you, thank God for the goodness. When we sing God is good, I don't think we really understand what we mean. We mean God so good that he bore in his own body on that tree all the curse of sin, all the severity of God, all the wrath of God so that we could be living, so we could be breathing, so we could enjoy the goodness of God. Somebody give a good God a good praise. Hallelujah. God's perfectly balanced. He's, he's good, but he's also 
just. There's severity of God. There's goodness of God. James 2 and 13 says this, paraphrasing just the last part of it. Mercy rejoices over judgment, which means the balance of God is this. He is as much merciful as he is just. However, when he's got both of those on the line, mercy rejoices over judgment. And this is the opposite of the way our world teaches about God. They teach that God's like some mythological being like Zeus or, uh, or, or, or uh, like Thor, and he's sitting up there in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike somebody dead. That's not the biblical God. Whenever given an opportunity to judge us or to show us mercy, I want to tell you what God chooses every time. He chooses mercy every single time. If he has to choose, he's going to choose mercy. Lamentations chapter 3 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. Thank God for his mercies that are new every single morning. Amen. He lets us live. Praise God. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't coming a day of judgment. There is coming a day of judgment. It came in Noah's day. It's coming in our day. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But... But God looks for mercy. He looks for an opportunity to show mercy. And so God in this moment, he looks down upon the earth. And he's, he's looking at man. And his justice wants to come out when he sees all of the cruelty of man. And he sees all the wickedness of man. And he sees the imagination of man. And how it's wicked and perverse. And Romans chapter 1 talks about that professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the image of, uh, of the invisible God into the likeness of beasts. They changed the natural use of the woman, and they started, they started altering themselves. Amen. That sounds a lot like our world today. They started changing the way God made them and try to make it into other things. And they started changing their orientation on things. And God looked down from heaven, and it grieved God in his heart. And God said, I'm going to destroy them. Here comes the judgment of God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. One of the most beautiful scriptures in your entire Bible. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I thank God for grace. How about you? He's got judgment in his hand on the wickedness of man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to tell you, when God looks down on earth, he's looking for somebody to show mercy to. When God looks at your life, he is not looking with a fine-tooth comb and in a way that he can get you. God is not a, a crime scene investigator. <laughs> he's, he's not checking for fingerprints. He's not doing background checks to find out if you deserve punishment and judgment. Amen. This ought to help somebody that's afraid of every minute and every hour they're in je their lives in jeopardy, that they're going straight to hell. and they better get I want to tell you, God's not looking for reasons to send you to hell. Let me break through. I don't care who taught you, who trained you. Uh, if they taught you the other way, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. God's not looking to throw you in hell. He, 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 if he, he doesn't need to find a reason to throw us in hell. We, we, we were born into sin. He doesn't have to look for a reason to send us into hell. I want to tell you, God's looking for every reason to see you saved. This is why the Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And somebody said amen. 
Praise God. And so Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. To this righteous man, God announced his plan to destroy the world. Now, let me talk about Noah for a moment. There is a theology where people start thinking Noah was better than everybody else in his, in his generation. And that's why he got the grace of the Lord. No. The Bible says the thoughts of everyone, of every thought and every imagination was only evil continually. Everybody. That meant Noah. Ooh, I just blew somebody's theology right there. Well, if I'm just better than everybody in my world, I'm that's religion. Again, that is not what the Bible is saying, that if you'll just be better than everybody else, that you will receive it. That is to say that Noah had something that nobody else in his world had. If you hold to that, and I don't think anybody here does, but if you hold to that, you fall into the, fall into the trap of, of, of the false teaching, not the biblical teaching of predestination, but the false teaching of predestination. That Noah was just predestined to be better than everybody else. That, that, if that revokes the entire teaching of, the, of what we've already done, talking about the power of choice and the free will of man. Uh, it, it was not that Noah was better than everybody else in his generation. Noah found grace. Now the question is, why did Noah find grace? Now another way of putting this is Noah received grace. Let's look in our Bibles. Uh, we're going to talk about grace for a moment, but if you want to turn your Bible to the book of uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, just kind of hold that there. Noah found grace. Noah received grace. I do not believe, just using my biblical understanding, you can study out and you're welcome to disagree with me. This is the part where we're going to have to agree or disagree. It doesn't, it, there's no definitive on this. But I do not believe that God called to Noah only because Noah was better than everybody in his generation. I believe, as it is today, that God is calling to all men. God is calling to all people, but not everybody's responding. Amen. So, God announces his plan to Noah. Noah found grace, but here's a question. What is grace? This is one of the most famous yet misunderstood biblical words in the entire world. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, that song is probably the most famous Christian song in the world. It is sung by saints and sinners alike because it talks about grace, this ambiguous idea of grace. Unfortunately, everybody thinks they know what grace is, but only the Bible teaches what grace really is. You know, somebody would say, well, what about Ephesians 2.8? I'll quote it for you. Write it down if you want to read it later. Aren't we all saved by grace? Short answer, yes. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's a wonderful verse. For by grace are you saved. Thank you, Jesus. Through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Praise God for that. But what? is grace is it a blanket to cover all mistakes is it a get out of hell free card no grace through from genesis to revelations when you look at grace grace is a teacher everybody say that grace is a teacher 
Grace has a message that must be obeyed. We'll get into this and, and, uh, and we'll talk about it. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to a couple men. No, to, to those that were better than others. To those that dressed nicer, had a little more money in the bank. No, because uh, that would have that most of most of us, praise God. The, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Well, then, let's just cut the rest of the verse out. Praise God, cherry pick a verse. We're all saved, everybody. Uh, the, the person on the bar stool right now, they're saved, right? No, read the rest of the verse. Because the grace of God for salvation appeared to all men. So everybody's saved. That's universalism. You've got to be careful of that. Because there's some people that think everybody's saved just automatically. That's, that's how our world lives. They live like universalists. You go around the street, are you saved? Yes, of course I'm saved. Why? I'm a good person. For by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, which means you can't save you. Amen. And so, uh, is all men just say No. The grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. And what is the avenue where grace works? Teaching us. Everybody say teaching us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Well, by grace am I saved, not of myself, is the gift of God. Yes. And what does grace do? It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Let me just break it down for somebody. Grace is your teacher. Grace is your professor. Grace is your educator. Grace is the information you need to obey. Grace may appear in many forms, but it always has a message to teach us, and that message must always be obeyed. If you don't obey the message of grace, you will not be saved. Well, I'm saved by grace. If you've not obeyed the message of grace, you will not be saved. All right, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, just finish the story. He's done. He's just, he's saved, right? Noah's done. He, there's, there's nothing. He's, he's, grace is there. And the rain begins to fall. What happens to Noah? He drowns with everybody else. Because, because grace was not a blanket to cover. Amen. Although grace will cover. I don't want to be misunderstood here tonight. Grace is a teacher. The grace for Noah was an ark. But how did grace appear? It appeared like blueprints, teaching him how to build an ark. The grace for Israel was Moses showing up and saying, let my people go. But grace, the avenue grace worked, was when it showed them and taught them that if they were going to survive, 
they had to apply the blood of the lamb to their doorposts. And if they were to get out of Egypt, they had to go through the Red Sea. Amen. They had to go and follow the cloud through the wilderness and the pillar of fire. And the Bible would tell us they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. This is the New Testament, Old Testament version of John chapter 3 that the Bible says, except a man is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. Amen. The New Testament grace shows up to us like Jesus Christ dying upon a cross, being buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later rising again from that grave, triumphing over death. That's the grace of God that appeared, as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel. The gospel is the grace of God. But how does the grace of God appear, or how does it teach us? What is its message? You and I must follow him in the gospel. You cannot be saved without identifying with the gospel. What is the gospel? You must die. Everybody say, I got to die. That's repentance. Everybody say repentance. I have to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's where the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, we are buried with him through baptism. Well, I repented. I was baptized. I'm good. Last time I checked, Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. The Bible says, as he was raised from the dead, his spirit's going to quicken your mortal body. Everybody say, receive the Holy Ghost. When they asked Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we got to do? We killed our Messiah. You preached to us that he died. He was buried. He rose again. What do we have to do? And Peter gave him the remedy. He preached the message of grace to them, the message that had to be obeyed. Repent and be baptized. Some of you, a couple of you, those that want to profess their faith. No, those that want to shake the preacher's hand and get a picture. No. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the washing away of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the death, the burial, the resurrection, repentance, water baptism, and the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I want to tell you, the grace of God is the gospel. And the only way you receive grace is to receive the gospel by repenting, being baptized and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. If you've received grace here tonight, you ought to shout and give God praise. If you've gone through the gospel message, you ought to give him praise. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, you're not in just some religious church. You're in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church where we, we go back to the Scriptures. This didn't just start because we decided uh, a, a couple hundred years ago we're going to start doing this. No, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Amen. Because if you even studied out, you, you, you've, got, you've got the gospel story even in the book of Noah. We'll talk about that another time. There's death, there's burial, and there's resurrection. Amen. You look at the story of Moses. There's death, there's burial, there's resurrection. It happens even in nature. Seed falls to the ground, it dies. It is buried, and then all of a sudden it sprouts. It's death, burial, resurrection. Every single day, the sun, it goes down, it dies. Amen. It buries behind the mountains, and it comes back up. Death, burial, and resurrection is also in nature. Amen. There is this constant teaching of grace. 
But the only way to receive grace is to obey what is taught. You got to repent. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name. Not the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Titles, titles like Father, that's not a name. Son, that's not a name. Holy Spirit, that's not a name. There's only one name. Amen. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9 says that in the last days there shall be one king and his name one. I want to just tell everybody that when you get baptized, you get baptized in the only saving name. Amen. You get saved, you get baptized in the one that was buried with you. Who are you identifying with in baptism? Jesus was buried. So when I'm buried, I'm buried in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Grace appears to all men, but not all men receive the message of grace. The grace of God is not effective in your life without obedience to its message. If Noah would have just said, well, the grace said to build an ark, I'm saved, and not built the ark, he would have died. Later in our Bible study, we'll talk about Moses, but if they would have heard, you got to apply the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and they thought, you know, that's a cute message. I'm not going to do anything about that. I've got grace. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt, including theirs, would have died. If they would have never gone over the Red Sea, they would have never got out of Egypt. They would have been taken back, captives and slaves. If they'd have never gone through the water, they would not have been saved. I'm just trying to get through to somebody. You, you can't be saved based on your own goodness, your own righteousness. You've got to be saved through the grace of God. But understand, the grace of God's got a message, and that message must be obeyed. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand all across the building. And let's lift up our hands. The grace of God has appeared to all of us, but it is teaching us something. Church, we can't go without the teaching of the word. Amen. It's the engrafted word of God which is able to save our souls. Noah, you can't just say, well, I heard God's voice. No, you got to get your hammer ready. You got to get that wood ready. You got you to start building the boat for the saving of your household. Uh, amen. Sir, you can't be saved on your own goodness. You need the blood of Jesus. And the only way you get that blood applied is through being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and let's magnify the Lord. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, I want to open up this altar. Let's come down and let's thank God for his grace here tonight. And if you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the message of grace, the gospel, the repentance, the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost tonight, I want you to come down and obey it. I want you to come down and say, Lord, would you take that message, God, and help me to obey that message? And if you are here tonight and you've, over, you've received grace, you've obeyed that message, I want to tell you, you ought to thank God that he's saving you. You ought to thank God that he's washed you. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing me. I want, I want everybody to come. I think we ought to thank God for grace here tonight. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace, God. 
Hallelujah. Thank you for grace, God. It really did save a wretch like me, God. If it wasn't for your word that taught me and pulled me out of darkness into this marvelous light, God. If it wasn't for that grace that spoke that message, come out from among them, be separate. I wouldn't be saved here tonight. If it wasn't for that preacher preaching to me, hallelujah. We're getting ready to sing here tonight. We're going to worship the Lord. But I want to tell you what you just heard tonight. You just heard grace. i tell you where you heard grace from. Now, you may not like the vessel grace came from and how it appeared. Sometimes grace appears like a preacher. That eunuch on the road, reading the book of Isaiah and not understanding anything. Because he didn't have grace. He didn't have a teacher. God told Philip, he said, join yourself to that guy right there. And when he got there, he started teaching him a Bible study. I want to tell you, amen, when you go out and teach somebody this Bible study, you don't have to be eloquent. You just have to teach them what you know. You just have to share with them a little bit. I want to tell you, church, it's time to get back to the field. It's time to get back to the mission. You know more than you think. The grace of God is finding somebody and sharing with them what they got to do to be saved. It's time to get back to our roots, church. It's time to get back to the mission field. Hallelujah. God's done blessed us with all, all blessings we can name and count, amen, enumerate. But I want to tell you, we got to get back in the field because there's people that don't know what we've got. They don't know the message we're preaching. And we got to go and share it with them because this is the grace of God. The grace of God appears to all men. And as I preach to you here tonight and teach to you here tonight, the grace of God has appeared from this side of the pulpit, teaching you. You got to repent. You got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I thank God for the day I walked into an apostolic church broken and the grace of God appeared in the form of a preacher telling me what it wasn't the preacher. I thank God for the man of God and all that. I'm not trying to, I'm a pastor. I'm not trying to demean that, but I want to tell you there was something about the message. See, preach that message. Something started stirring my heart. Do you know I would have stayed in the same condition that I walked in with if I didn't obey the message of grace. You got to come out from among them and be separate. You got to. It's not. It's not that 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 that. Man, God, is there not another way? No. He said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." Is there? Maybe I could just do something else. No. You got to take the message of grace. You got to obey it. Whew. I want somebody to lift up your hands right now. Thank you for the grace. I want somebody right now that God's been speaking to you. I want you to make it up in your mind. I'm going to receive grace, and my reception of grace is going to be that I obey it. I'm going to obey what the word of the Lord has said. I'm going to obey what the scriptures have taught. I'm not waiting. I'm going to repent. I'm not waiting. I'm going to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm not waiting. God, fill me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I want you to come to the front and lift up your hands and start begin to praise the Lord. If you've never repented of your sins, I want you to come to the front and begin to say, Lord, would you forgive me of all my sins and start letting God, amen, die out to all that stuff. Amen. All across this building, amen, from the front to the back, let's begin to thank God for grace as they begin to sing.
it here tonight. Somebody thank you for grace here tonight. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the message. Thank you for Acts 2.38. Thank you for separation from the world. Thank you for the apostolic church. Thank you, Jesus, for my Bible. Thank you, Jesus, for your church. Come on, somebody thank you for grace. Thank you for every message. Thank you for every preacher. Thank you for every prophecy. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody lift up your voice, lift up your hands. I want you to think about it tonight. Come on, where would you be tonight without the grace of God? If not by the grace of God, there go I. Let's lift up our hands all across this building. Come on, let's magnify him in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we... We all, are, we all have this happen. I know I do. So I know I'm, I know I'm not in the minority here tonight. We all. Sometimes we forget about grace. We sing about it. But you know, I, I wonder if anybody can really remember what your life was before grace appeared. Man, I was a wreck. I'll tell you what, without the grace of God, I'd still be a wreck. Yeah. But I'll never forget the grace of God that led me Cornerstone Pentecostal Church on Woodlawn and Broadway. 21 years ago this August. And I walked into church. And that man began to preach the message. It had done me no good to just walk in the doors and feel the goosebumps. I'd still be the same wreck. I would have heard about grace. I might even felt grace. But I would have never received grace. There was something about that message. Man, I just got in that water, got baptized in Jesus' name. I don't know when, but I know he did it. Filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was all so rapid. I didn't know what was going on. I thought, man, this is crazy, but I joined right in. Amen. But you know, the grace of God didn't stop at me receiving the Holy Ghost. Every midweek Bible study, I was receiving grace. He could have been talking about Methuselah and his cousin. Melchizedek, amen. Y'all, you get to that later. Praise God. He 
could have, it didn't matter what he was talking about. He was teaching and he was preaching every Sunday where he got up behind the pulpit and you could feel the fire. Man, I was receiving grace. Every prayer meeting where the Holy Ghost was moving and the Holy Ghost started speaking to me some things I needed to do. I was receiving grace. Every time I opened up my Bible and began to read, and the Holy Ghost would start using those chapters and verses. Amen. Every time I still do it to this day, it's not just to get a sermon. I want to tell you, it's God speaking to me. You can do this. I want you to do this. I want to tell you what God's doing. He's helping us build an ark. We are receiving the grace of God. I think we ought to lift up our hands and thank you for grace one more time. Hallelujah. I want to tell you the grace of God didn't lead you to the Baptist church or the Methodist church. Amen. Because grace wasn't going to be found there. Amen. Because they weren't preaching the message. But God led you to the apostolic church where the message of one God, where the message of, of Acts 2.38, where the, map, the, the message of ha holiness and separation from the world. That's where God led you. He led you to the truth preaching church. He led you to the grace filled church. I think we ought to thank him for that. Thank him for the church. Thank him for the ark. Thank him for the place where we're saved. Hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands and thank you for grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Shake hands. Be friendly. Love one another. But most importantly, I want you to go out, grab some church cards, and start sharing grace with somebody. If you don't know where to start, just start talking about the love of God. Amen. If they got questions you don't have answers for, just bring them. Amen. And I, I guarantee if you just start talking about repenting, being baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, I guarantee they'll get in the boat. Praise God. God bless you. In Jesus' name.